When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. This is Cork Today. Cork Today. With J.P. McNamara on C103. Cork's greatest And a very good morning to you. It is JP in again for Patricia right through until one. I'm still feeling unwell. Hopefully she'll be back with us on Monday. But until now and one, it is me and Bernie with you taking those comments and calls. 0818 103 103. If there's something you want to raise on this morning's show or indeed discuss what we are discussing, you can always text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103. And ahead on the programme, we're going to follow up on calls we received yesterday to the programme regarding the regional water supplies in Cork and the boil water water notices that we are all becoming too familiar with and affecting many areas of Cork, uh, mainly at the moment Whitegate, the public water supply there and Kilavullen. A lot of people basically, while you can't stop these notices from happening and bottled water notices are put in place to protect the public, uh, the main reason the calls were coming into us across the week were first of all, these, uh, these both these areas have happened again, happened again so close to uh, the last time they were issued with a notice. But the other side of this is the lack of information people get from Irish Water and basically when you ring Irish Water uh, the public feel the same information that is read out on the news here that we call out is what they get but they don't get uh, the main uh, source that they want to hear they don't they want to know what is the cause of this is the water like have people got ill locally from this uh, when will this be sorted when they give details uh, they don't break down the exact information of why this is happening and I mean an example yesterday they gave was uh, they mentioned a borehole but as one listener said from I think it was Tom they never even told us how long or the depth of the borehole and the cause of uh, the reasoning behind uh, how the borehole was affected in the first place and how the water uh, got dirty and then they used different words uh, that were confusing people and people weren't aware of what the words meant and basically one of the words uh, basically meant dirt in the water but now we have got a statement uh, since yesterday afternoon from Irish Water thankfully uh, not mentioning all those uh, big and wonderful words they did put in the last a few press releases which they have issued over the last number of months they've made it a bit more uh, simple to explain and with that you can find out then why indeed they are issuing these boil water notices uh, but 
uh, we will discuss this because it has been raised in the Dáil this week due to the lack of information coming not only to the public but elected officials who then ask questions on what is happening and they can't get answers from anybody and as I said earlier with Ken in our preview and you were to hear this yesterday the county mayor has written to Irish Water for a representative to join them at their council meeting so they can ask questions about what is happening with the infrastructure across Cork and even the county mayor's office or indeed the mayor herself Councillor Gillian Coughlin six weeks ago this went to them they have not responded now we have asked Irish Water again on a reply to them why they have not responded and did they get the email or the letter in the first place if they had not responded so we'll wait and see what they say but discussing and the situation, the problems with communication with the Irish Water raised in Dáil Éireann this week. Cork East Sinn Féin Deputy Pat Buckley will join us on the programme. Also, last night, it was mentioned in Dáil Éireann regarding the smoky coal ban, which is due to come into effect from September. Already a lot of text on this because Green Party leader Eamon Ryan now has said that Pete Briggetts, they could be included in the ban. Now he said he must look at this first and find out the information on the excess pollution that the peach briquettes do produce uh, but he did say that in the Dáil uh, last night. I'll get to that very shortly and, and indeed what he said. Also on the programme we're going to hear about a report from UCC which highlights the concerns around ageing in Ireland and in particular in rural Ireland from older people. We'll speak to UCC this morning on that and as more people return to the office more Dogs are being sent to the pounds. We're going to hear about how you can rehome, but also how you can foster a dog on a programme from Foster, uh, from Dogs Trust Ireland on dog fostering. We'll speak with them later in the programme. An organisation we spoke with a number of weeks ago, they're called FOSS. They're basically families who have got together and other groups who have come together where they are fighting for services for children with intellectual or with a disability or who are trying to access services within the H. They can't access those services due to long waiting lists. They now have simply said that had enough and they have a protest going ahead uh, starting around now in Cork City Centre. We will hear live from that protest later in the programme and hear from those that are protesting and the reason why they are taking to the streets this morning. And commemoration events are taking place this weekend in Cove to remember those who lost their lives in the sinking of the Lusitania of the old head of Kinsale. We'll hear what is happening across Cork further those events. Also our movie review with Mark. One of the movies he is reviewing is Ambulance and a lot more to come between now and one o'clock. Your views are welcome as always. 103103 or you can text or WhatsApp 0862103103. Something else we will discuss later and this is how a number of students were very lucky yesterday evening on the road between uh, Drummer League and Skibbereen at Bora Villa. A uh, bus air and school bus uh, carrying around 30 pupils it just left the road and went into a ditch and was more or le- less left, I suppose, slanting is the best way you can describe it, on the ditch. Thankfully, there were no sign of any injuries uh, following that accident and bus air and have confirmed investigations have begun. We'll hear more about that as well later in the programme. But as I mentioned, for those who are texting in this is a concern to many because you are aware that the sale of smoky coal uh, that more than likely along with turf is to be banned from September the debate continues on that but now peat briquettes which were never uh, really up for discussion and they were mentioned but they weren't up for discussion until it was raised last night in Dollar. and this is what first of all uh, the Green Party leader Eamon Ryan said yesterday evening Even on the peat briquettes I'll be perfectly honest I'll be looking at the signs there to make sure I'll be absolutely certain that those peats 
peat briquettes because of the way they're processed, because of the way they burn, are below the 10 micrograms of pollution that's put out of the atmosphere. We have to be straight about that and, and make sure that it is the case. Well, he is going to look at the evidence, as he said, regarding pollution from uh, peat. I mean, a lot of people have mixed views on this. Some people feel it's time we did ban smoky coal and the likes of turf and peat briquettes because of the problems and indeed uh, the toxins that are released into the environment. But the, the majority of callers and texts we get are from people living in rural areas who don't have access to gas, who have to pay high prices for oil. And the only way a lot of people who don't even have uh, the option of oil or gas the only way they can heat their homes is by purchasing coal or indeed peat or indeed using turf and they wonder what will happen to them in years to come if they stock up now it might not affect them this year uh, but what will happen in the future and there's no way gas networks are going to be rolling out gas to all various areas across rural Cork uh, well on this uh, a texter saying hi JP I think at the moment he is only testing how much he can get away with this is Eamon Ryan it's time our rural TD wake up before it's too late we are not all living in Dublin rural Ireland has fresh air it's less densely populated but yes we can all see sewers being pumped out to sea but no one calls it as it is and this does not get mentioned a lot while we are talking about air and pollution and air other areas where pollution occurs from public networks is never mentioned, says that text. So your views are welcome. I mean, everybody knows it's going to happen at some stage, but now with peat briquettes that were not initially mentioned to be banned, there was a talk of it, but they, they kind of escaped for the last number of weeks. Now uh, they're looking at the science behind it. And if they go above certain levels of pollution, then they also won't be uh, for sale, seemingly, from uh, if it goes ahead and everything from next September. Your views are welcome. 0818103103. You can text or WhatsApp 0862103103. And not too sure what people feel about this when we come to the issue of housing. Because developers will be paid up to €120,000 per apartment by the state to fund the shortfall between spiralling building costs and current market prices. Now, the fund, it's it's aimed, first of all, at unblocking the stalled developments that are around the country, in particular when it comes to apartments. But developers will have to apply for this fund and it's €120,000 per apartment But then you'd have to ask the question, how many developers over the years did go under, came back again? And are are they able to go and apply for this fund and get more government money? Uh, That would be the concern for many people. And while that is underway, and while in one way they are going to increase the building of apartments, but in another way it is public money doing this for developers. Uh, It also, in in news that isn't great this morning for all of us mortgage holders, it would seem now that hundreds of thousands of us uh, that do have a mortgage will face a high of up to €300 in repayments per month. And this is coming from the European Central Bank. And this is because for the first time in over a decade, there's going to be a hike in interest rates of 0.25, which could come as early as July. So for many who are paying back a mortgage and struggling as it is with everything else, bills, energy going up, this will be a concern. But also, If you're renting, it's going to be a concern because if the mortgage goes up, uh, those who are paying a mortgage and renting a house, they will also have to increase the rent. So it meets the demand for a mortgage. So it will have a knock-on effect for a lot of people. 
uh, not only those who have mortgages. And just staying with that then, because the IMF were in town and were uh, meeting with government and were going through what exactly is happening with the uh, state coppers and how Ireland is performing. Overall, they're happy with the Irish economy and they predict uh, an upbeat assessment of how things are going in Ireland. But interesting, when I mentioned housing there, they did advise the government to basically gradually increase, which, which they say is very low property tax rates while ensuring adequate social safeguards. So the property tax we all pay, they feel it's too low and they want to increase our property tax. And then on the other side of this, the IMF says that they want to see an end to caps on bankers' pay and an end to the high taxation on bonuses, which stands at 89% that bankers get. They want to see an end to the banking levy also, which brought in 150 million euros in revenue last year. But this was cut in October's budget and it will bring in about 87 million euros uh, for this year coming. Uh, but it's interesting on one side of things, the IMF is looking for all of us to want a home to and, and pay property tax. And you know we, we have had that debate before on where the hell the money goes for a property tax. We don't see a lot of return on that money. Sometimes you do with regards to street lighting and footpaths, but overall, uh, there's not a major return for what we pay. And then in the other side of things, they want to basically remove the cap so bankers can get a high wage and they don't have to pay a lot of tax on the bonuses they get. Uh, So you could really argue that the people who got the country into a mess in the first place are the ones who will be earning a high amount of money yet again, while those of us, the ordinary person getting up early in the morning to go to work, could be facing higher property tax rates. That's if the government's go with what the IMF is suggesting. Your views are welcome on that. Uh, You can call us 0818 103 103 or indeed text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103. And just a quick mention for the elections that are happening in Northern Ireland. Of course, voting took place yesterday right across the UK and it seems the Tories could be losing hundreds of council seats in the local elections in the UK because of party gate. That is how it's looking. Uh, Council seats, of course, up for grabs in Scotland, Wales, uh, many parts of England and, of course, in Northern Ireland then electing the new Assembly members. And at the moment in Northern Ireland, the turnout, by the way, was was down from 2017, even though they thought it would be higher. Uh, This time around, it was down. And as counting gets underway this morning on the Stormont Assembly elections, the the polls go by what the voters are saying. Sinn Féin is set to be the largest party and take the position of First Minister for the first time in Northern Ireland's history, that being Michelle O'Neill, of course, who we mentioned yesterday was born in Formoy. And interesting then in England at the moment, the way it's looking is Labour uh, is celebrating key victories because more than half of England's councils will be uh, held, will be for the first time in a long while will be controlled by Labour. The party has taken control of Westminster Council and others areas are are due to fall out. Counting is just getting underway in Scotland and Wales. But for the moment, that's the latest picture in England. Labour, uh, the winning party so far there. And it looks like Sinn Féin could become the winning party in Northern Ireland. But overall voting, which I thought would be higher than what it was, is down. Uh, Your views are welcome. You can text on WhatsApp 0862103103. Can I say a big congratulations to the Banline-based Carberry Group? They were named the overall winner of the Cork 
Chamber Cork Company of the Year at their awards held last night. They're now in their 24th year. So well done to all in Carberry Group based just outside Banaline. A big employer as well for the area. So hello to everybody there this morning. Our lines are open. Next, we're going to discuss the issues affecting a lot of people in various areas of Cork to do with about water notices and why people uh, are are basically left without a, a supply that is a basic necessity for so many and the impact that has then if you're rearing a family or just in general in a household or a business for that matter as well. It was all yesterday and indeed across the week. We'll discuss that next. Court today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 0818103103. On yesterday's show, you would have heard frustrated callers talk about boiled water notices that remain in place in Calavullan and indeed within the Whitegate regional water supplies. Now, residents basically have told us they've had enough and they are also not happy with the way Irish Water issues notices about the boiled water notices in their area. And basically, it's a lack of information coming from Irish Waters what they are unhappy happy with and the words they use and they were using you know words that people didn't really know what they meant uh, and we did get on to Irish Water yesterday regarding the calls we got from the Kelevolan area thankfully the release and the, the statement we got from them does not include off the wall words so it is more uh, plain English which there was a plain English campaign there launched a few years ago uh, to make statements from government authorities and indeed the utility authorities to, to basically to explain exactly what is going on without using words to throw people off and I think that has reached Irish water at this stage because the statement is a lot more uh, easier to understand. Uh, yesterday, we got this yesterday afternoon from Irish water regarding Kelevolan. Uh, they say the boil water notice came in on Monday to protect public health due to disimprovement in raw water quality overnight on Sunday. Irish water and Cork County Council are working tirelessly towards lifting the boil water notice and will liaise with the HSC and the EPA, which is the Environmental Protection Agency, to do so much they can, as much as they can, as soon as they can, to lift the criteria. And if the criteria is met, then they can lift the ball water notice. So at the moment, Irish Water and Cork County Council, they are advancing emergency works to provide extra levels of treatment on an interim basis at Kilavodan to minimise the impact of disimprovements in the raw water. Longer term permanent solutions such as an alternative source are also being investigated. So at least that gives us a clearer picture of what is happening, why everybody had to ring us and create a storm to get a, an exact a clearer picture which doesn't answer the question but it's still it's a bit clearer than what it was I don't know anyhow this was raised in the doll this week by Cork East uh, Sinn Féin Deputy Pat Buckley who joins me good morning to you Pat Good morning, JP. So it's something that we've got numerous calls on across the week and it is only affecting certain areas, but still I think overall people are are just taken back at what is happening within communication at Irish Water. And what we're getting, and I'm sure this is what you got as well, Pat, and why it was raised in the Dáil, the lack of communication where people are living in an area like Whitegate, which you raised, also Kilavullen. And when I say those areas, there's a number of of areas within those because they're regional water supplies. So it's not just those areas are affected. There's communities around them also affected and the reasoning the public get is the same as what we are given on air so there's no direct reasoning for, for it uh, do you think after raising this there will be clarity? Um, I, I was listening to there and the plain English uh, you were talking about I remember actually raising that about a year and a half ago in the chamber as well I think I can't remember exactly what minister was on but I said nobody wants to be intoxicated in the exuberance of somebody's vocabulary that's well, that's true. Totally dumbfounded and flabbergasted. They said, "Will you talk in plain English?" Yeah, and that's why that campaign right. was launched. Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
Yeah, I think mine was born out of absolutely utter frustration, JP, as a public rep, and even trying to get information on it. I raised this back, I think it was somewhere around the 5th of uh, April, and I put a number of questions to Irish Water regarding the Whitegate system at the time. Obviously, Kilavolan hadn't come up at the time. And would you believe it? I was actually, my, my questions to the Minister for Environment, uh, Climate and Communications was actually disallowed by Kionkora because the Minister didn't have a remit over. So that even bore more frustration. And it is difficult enough to get speaking got here in the drive. And I was lucky enough to get the topical issue on it. And that's why I raised it because, I mean, like, I think the Kilavolan one uh, at present, I think it's about 800, 900 people it affects. But the one in the Whitegate area is nearly 10,000 people. And this has gone back to November 2019. And what it really, really frustrated me was on the actual night of it, it was amazing that the minister, I think it was the minister book, actually had an answer for me. Now, obviously, you know, it's like in any, any job, it mightn't be the answer that you, you would like to hear, but at least it was an actual answer. And that absolutely drove me mad. I said, I'm the public rep. I'm the one that has gone through, you know, the proper protocol, through the ministers, the and so on. I'm being the one that's been refused to actually submit these questions. And yet, when you're looking, as we call it, the lottery here for uh, topical issues, when I get on the floor, that the minister has the reply. But I mean, it, it's absolutely farcical that if you can go back to 2019, even, and the minister said that the anticipated construction to actually sort this problem could be as long as 2024. It, it just doesn't make any sense. And I did say very bluntly, I said, I can remember when the town councils, the local councils, were in charge of water services and the sewage and the rubbish. Things worked a lot better. And as I said, all you'd hear, you'd never hear of a boiled water notice. What you'd hear is, right, water main broken. You won't have water for an hour or two. The lads will go down to JCB to Consan a couple of clamps. They'll fix it. Run your tap for a few minutes. Get rid of the murky water. The job was done. So this is where the frustration comes in. And you're right the frustration is from also people who have been on those boil water notices as you mentioned and then a few weeks later they're back on that notice you mentioned there your speaking time within Doyle Aaron and the way it used to operate within the county council and the town councils I'm not too sure if you're aware of this but yesterday when Councillor Declan Hurley was speaking to us we asked him on this matter and he is also saying councillors can't get to speak to Irish Water they get the same info as the media do and the county mayor has written to Irish Water six weeks ago they have not got anything, an acknowledgement that they received uh, either the email or, or the letter and what the council wants and the mayor wants is for someone from Irish Water to come into their council meeting and explain uh, wh- exactly what you were saying there as well. Uh, so if they're not getting back to the county mayor or yourselves, I mean the public will have no hope of getting answers. Well absolutely and, and, and I can you know, I can echo the frustration. I mean people with complex needs, families with young children, the actual cost you know, of purchasing water and all this and, and communication has been practically non-existent, which is totally frustrating. I, uh, I, I can go back to, I think it was 2012 in the County Development Plan in Cork County Council, and we were discussing, I think it was Monard outside Bellarney. There was a scheme to be built there, a huge housing estate and so on, and Irish Water practically just refused to do to carry the services, water and storage, and that development fell on its feet. And I remember saying to the inside in County Hall that day, so you're telling me that Irish Water are no telling Cork County Council where they can and cannot build houses. 
So there's a huge issue here. I mean, by water notices, as we're on at the moment, but there's also an issue with capacity. And I've been dealing with Irish Water for a number of, well, number of months now on issues of, you know, new treatment plants, new uh, watering plants, new storage plants. But it seems to me they're only putting in the basic, um, you know, whatever we'll do for now. I think the only one that they're actually planning ahead, I think, is from Mallow, where they're putting in the new um, sewer treatment plant. But the rest of my companion places, like down outside Whitegate and White Bay, they're going to put in a, a treatment plant there. It's not top of the range, and that's practically won't be fully treated storage we'll be going into White Bay it's not called White Bay for any other reason than it's a beautiful beach so uh, to me Irish water are just you know they're like the donkey just nodding along instead of being like the thoroughbred horse you know that has a target at the end of the line and everything has to be spot on and this is my biggest worry we have a lack of communication we have thousands of people that have been left down now for nearly three years we get no clarity and to me, and from my own experience, I was in construction and doing water and storage for 20-odd years, um, I can see that this is going to be a revolving door. You know, they just seem to be slogging along. We, we could talk for this, JP, for hours. Even the fact of, and I like, and I have no shame in saying it, I know for a fact, when, when water mains are being replaced, right, when you put in a new section and you join it to an old section, what you need to do is you have to crank the feed water along the line, but at the same time, you need to leave the ear out the other end. And then the pressure builds up uh, evenly in the line. I know for a fact what they're doing is they're cranking up the water, they're shoving the water down the new main. The minute it hits the old main with the ear, the main breaks again. So you'll hear people saying, but should they only come in to fix one leak? How come there's so many leaks? This, to me, is a very, very big quango. I think what should be done is give it back to the local authority. When everything... Local knowledge is local expertise. And I think that's where the issue and the crux is. But as for the 10,500 people, like, I, I'm as frustrated as them. I mean, uh, Kilivola might be slightly different, but I know for the Whitegate one, they're talking about an anticipated construction will start in 2024 to sort out this problem. I mean, I think it's absolutely ludicrous. That yeah, it's a long time away. And when you mention the 2024 and you mention the housing projects that are not given to go ahead, as Irish Water is saying, there's not enough infrastructure and the pipes you mentioned there as well. I mean, Irish Water could come back and say a permanent solution is needed and that does involve investment. And they could argue the fact that we're not paying for our water in this country. But then the other argument on that, Pat, could be, are we not paying enough taxes for this money to be invested? Well, and does our motor tax, our motor yeah. tax we pay, does that still go towards water? Well, there you go. Wouldn't you and I like to get an answer to that? And I suspect if I went to the minister with that, I would probably, that my question would be this load. But you're right, no, we, we've paid for water over the years. You know, there was a 2% levy on this, I think, come back into the 70s and stuff. I mean, there hasn't been, you know, real, real investment in it. But you're right. I mean, Look, I live in Middleton, and I I think I'm roughly about 1,000, maybe 1,200 maybe metres from the waterworks from my home, which is at the top of the hill. I don't get my water in Middleton from the waterworks in Middleton. I get it from Glasherby and Glamour. I know that my storage goes to carry tools two miles away, and you're on about capacity issues. And that's a huge crux that we have. Whether there's, like, we know there's massive problems in Mitchellstown with uh, capacity. So, that, therefore, 
you know, it doesn't give a, a, a town or a village a chance to grow because they don't have the capacity to supply water or to take storage from homes. So that's slowing down the building of homes. As I said, Mallow is probably, maybe just probably lucky enough that the investment there will probably progress. Uh, Middleton and Cove and other areas, it's all down to capacity. And I'm well aware of it. And I've been dealing with people that maybe had single, you know, development, single homes that they want to build themselves. And the actual price to get uh, a storage connection and a water connection is absolutely extortionate. I can remember a connection one time was 500 quid. We're now, we're, we're now in, you know, well over the thousands. And I mean, we're heading towards the 10,000 mark. for Huge amount of money. Absolutely. Ridiculous. And yet with all this money and the taxes we're paying, there's still not enough to uh, what it seems like run Irish water in a way that they can provide a service. I mean, as you said, we could be speaking about this all day and the, the areas you mentioned there are growing areas and we have those right across Cork and if they can't grow because of water capacity and storage capacity, that's going to lead to problem for us uh, in the in the future as a country with a growing population. Uh, before I let you go, Pat, as you're well aware, counting gets underway in the Northern Ireland storm at the Assembly elections this morning and if the polls... And the votes follow together. It looks like that Sinn Féin could become the largest party in Stormont for the first time. And the first minister will be from Oyborn, Michelle. Uh, Michelle O'Neill. So uh, from a Sinn Féin point of view here in the Republic of Ireland uh, and you were Sinn Féin TD, uh, obviously you welcome this and the change in politics in Northern Ireland if, if it does come out to fruition like, like they're saying. Well, Absolutely. And uh, I'm, I'm not long back from uh, County Armagh. Oh, OK. So you're up there. Yes, oh, absolutely, and the appetite from everyone, from all, all sides, is, I, I've never seen it so um, positive, like, over the years, you know, I've gone up there, and, uh, let's say, the atmosphere would have been a bit less tame than it is now, but I have to say, the appetite and the engagement from all sectors in society up there, and the hunger for change is there, and, I mean, a lot of people maybe wouldn't have been aware that Michelle O'Neill was born of my, um, and she's well grounded and she knows her roots. And I can tell her she's been in Cork many, many times. Um, but yes, um, it, it, it's a day. It's, it's a day even for me. You know, just waiting in anticipation. It's, it's not about a, a Sinn Féin victory. It's about an Irish victory. But would you say then are you worried, Pat, with the, as you mentioned, Irish victory, the DUP, they have to play ball and other parties if this new assembly is to go ahead and even though the voting is done and uh, those that are elected get elected, if other parties don't play ball, uh, the assembly may not uh, go ahead and, you know, rule could still come from London. And interesting also the fact that a lot of people I heard uh, been interviewed by TV or radio in Northern Ireland, they were voting on issues. They were on about the cost of living, uh, the various issues that affects us all across the world, rather than the, and, and actually they were saying this, they said at least we're voting for issues rather than, you know, the Irish versus the British, or the, the, they were saying the colour of the flags, uh, the blue and red against the green, white and gold. Uh, they wanted that gone out of politics and they wanted to discuss the issues of the day, like the cost of living. Are you happy it's going that way? They were getting away from, from oh, the absolutely. old style politics. No, no, yeah, no, absolutely. And even in, I mean, in the position I'm in, I mean, even in the last term in, when I was here in the door, we worked with a, a lot of sectors up there, the unions, farmers section, uh, people may not be wearing disabilities. There's a place actually in Armagh called the Middletown Centre, which is the only specialist autism unit that covers the 32 counties of this country. There's actually 
funded by the Department of Education here in Ireland and then the Department of Education in England. So there has been a lot of things happening over the years. And you're right, we're moving away from the green, white and gold and the red and the white and the blue. It's about the real issues. It's about what actually affects the people, you know, on the island of Ireland. And I, I think, you know, it, it, it's been a long time coming. But I, I genuinely do believe that, you know, politics aside, you know, people want, whoever is looking after them or whoever is looking after the country, they want to have faith in those. They want to have a voice and they want whatever government is in power to actually listen to the concerns of the people and take those on board. And you're right. It is about, you know, security of jobs. It is about, you know, having a home. It is about having a proper health service. You know, all these things. And of course, they all matter. And I mean, I, I mean, I'm in fear. I have two kids. and uh, To be honest with you, JP, and I'm, you know me, I don't mince my words. I can never see them no matter how hard they'll try, in the current state that we have at the moment in this country, they will never, ever own a place that they can call home. I mean, a building can be bricks and mortar, plasterboard and a few lights. But it's what you put into it to make it a home. That's the most important thing, is actually owning a home. Yeah, and a lot of others' passion will be in similar situations. We'll wait and see. They're expecting first results at some stage this afternoon and a clearer picture by this evening from Northern Ireland. For the moment, are you going back up again today to the north? Or? I'm actually not. I'm actually, once no. I leave you here, no, I'm actually going out to uh, rally outside Linster House at the moment on okay. disabilities and stuff. So I'll head out there now next and we'll continue working away. Okay, Pat, well, we'll... I think we sit in our hands, but no, we are actually... It has been extremely busy at the moment, JP, and as I said, regardless of you have water issues, you have huge issues with the mental health situation at the moment, with huge issues with disabilities, and of course, we're now in the season of um, school places, school transport, so... Um, yeah, a lot going on. Time and an interesting couple of months now, yeah. Yeah, a lot happening. And there is a protest as well happening in Cork at the moment uh, regarding those issues. And we'll hear from that yeah. later. For the moment, Pat, thanks for joining us this morning. That is Cork East Deputy Pat Buckley. And on the way next, we're going to hear a report from UCC, which is highlighting concerns around ageing in Ireland and in particular in rural Ireland when it comes to older people. We'll speak with them next. Record today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 086 2103 Older people living in rural Ireland are concerned about their future with regards to ageing. Many are fearful what will become of them due to the lack of services locally. And Dr Siobhan O'Sullivan from UCC is Principal Investigator of this report and joins me this morning. Good morning to you Siobhan. Good morning. Great to, great to talk to you. Well, thanks for joining us and well done. This is a very interesting report and an insight into how people are feeling about ageing within rural areas. And overall, it seems that nearly one in five older people surveyed believe the community is a poor place in which to grow old, which is in something that it's kind of sad to see in writing in a report, Siobhan, isn't it? It is indeed. Um, and I suppose um, what was great about our report was that it did two things. It looked at uh, people's views through a survey, but also through a focus group. So we have both kind of figures for some of these aspects, but we also have in-depth views of people that can shed more light on why people feel that their communities are 
why some people feel that their communities are poor places to, to grow old in. Um, but I should say that for, for some people, uh, 27% of participants in our survey did rate their communities an excellent place to grow older in, 54% as good, and 19% though as poor, which is still a high figure. Um, and what they explored really uh, through, through focus groups with us and conversations with us was around the general decline of towns and villages over the past number of years in Ireland and how that really impacts on them in terms of ageing in place. And interesting to see then when we mention about communities, a lot of people do want to remain there and remain in their own homes. They do. They do indeed. So, I mean, the issues that they highlight are are around, you know, the decline of towns and villages are things like, you know, lack of public transport and lack of services like banks, post offices, churches, shops local guardie and lack of local health care but you know despite all of these issues around the decline people are really attached to the places in which they live and 78% of participants in the research said it's really important for them to remain in their homes as they grow older so they're attached to their home environment itself but also in rural areas very much the landscape to the neighbourhoods the neighbours and sense of community and so people really value you know the beauty of their areas uh, the scenery, the nature, and um, but also this this really you know active community life that's really beneficial to people. And interesting regarding older people who rent their homes. I mean, they're worried, and this could apply anywhere, urban or rural. But they're worried for the future. And the big worry here, I suppose, is if a landlord decides to sell the home and they have to move out, and where do they go to? And the cost of living now as well with the cost of rent. Exactly. It's such. It, it was. It was an issue that. I suppose it affects a small number of people, but for those people, it's such a significant issue. And um, because most older people in Ireland, um, are are more secure actually than younger people in terms of their housing. So in our, um, in our research, most people do own their own house, and um, but there are a proportion of people who have these much more tenuous living arrangements. So if you're renting, you know, no matter what age you are, it's really precarious in Ireland. But as you age, it becomes even more um, precarious. Um, and, and we do feel that that's a, you know, a really important issue that's come out um, of this research is, you know, for, for, for those older people, such a, a high um, a concern and an aspect around insecurity and anxiety. You know, what, what's going to happen? I could be, at any point, I could get um, notice that I need to, to leave uh, this home. Um, and uh, and the cost then, as you, as you said, I mean, the cost of living have already gone up so much and people's pensions haven't sufficiently um, risen in, in light of that. And when you're putting something towards rent as well, um, it's, it's really uh, difficult for people. And we can't assume then that all older people have this, you know, one-size-fits-all um, uh, set of living circumstances. We really need to pay attention to the diversity of the ageing experience and the variety of needs that older adults experience, whether they're renting, own their houses, where they live, whether it's rural or urban, as you mentioned. And the renting one I mentioned there is interesting because the fact that I think people forget, as you said, a lot of people have it in their head that older people and on statistics they would be better than those who were younger and a majority of them would own their home and maybe finish paying the mortgage off uh, but there is that cohort who still rents and I, I was house sharing for, for years as many people do across the, across the country and indeed across the world and when a room came up you know you would interview the people that would come in for the room and it kind of saddened us to see a lot of people in their early 60s mid 60s 70s maybe because of a marriage breakup or indeed were never married worked a lot and were renting a home that was going to be given up to be sold and they were going down the house sharing option because they simply could not afford to rent a home and when they came in to us I mean they knew we were all in our late 20s early 30s at that stage they knew that it wasn't suitable for them but to hear their stories it was sad and it was something that was never really discussed in this country now reports like this are bringing it to the fore 
Exactly, exactly. And I think it's, as I said, I think it's a really, really crucial issue. And what struck us as well, I mean, I, I live in Cork City where, you know, rents are, are high. Mm. And, but talking to people in rural areas who were renting, the rents weren't, you know, weren't much lower than for what I expected. So, you know, the cost of, of renting um, is, 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 um, is very worrying for people. But it's really, it's the insecurity of the renting that yeah, big time. And uh, finally, uh, home repair services, and there is a lot of them on offer in Cork, but that was one of the crucial supports that people would like to see more of in rural areas. And I suppose it means if they're ageing in their home, they know they can call on a service to come and fix issues. Exactly, exactly. And um, and it was it was one of the things that was really emphasised by people um, in, in our research, that what would help them to, to remain in home, 93% said a home repair and maintenance service for older adults would help them to, to stay at home. Um, and, you know, it, it was it was from things that could range from, um, you know, within the house, but also outside the house, like unblocking drains, managing your gardens, um, and, and the cost of actually getting work done and liaising with workmen and, and women to get it done um, was was you know something that uh, was concerning people um, and they felt that if there was you know something that was much more organized it would help them to actually manage their homes and to maintain their homes condition that would make it easier for them to stay in place and there are schemes like that I mean there's a care and repair scheme by age action and um, but all of these things could be could be further developed and further extended um, in, in, in rural areas as well but the other aspects that were highlighted you know um, in terms of support to help you in your home properly paid and resourced home care scheme so actually having somebody come in to support you uh, really really crucial and, and that's a big issue at the moment because people can't get to access to those services or if they do they're only allowed into their home for 15 minutes a day or, or 30 minutes so it is having a, a knock on effect it is there's a huge issue now over home care at the moment with you know a shortage of carers and with uh, hopefully the the uh, development home care scheme which was delayed because of covid but the government have promised that it'll be you know uh, uh, coming into effect uh, well hopefully this year and um, but it's it's really really crucial i mean we what we don't want to see and what older people in in our research were saying they don't want to go into nursing home care they'd like to age for as long as possible in their own homes or also you know look at other options that might suit them like whether that's right-sizing or moving into a, a retirement village uh, which are also options that don't really uh, exist in sufficient um, in numbers you know for people to really get to express their preferences and have those preferences met. Well it's a great insight to how people are feeling as they age across the rural Ireland for the moment Siobhan thanks for joining us this morning on the programme and well done again on that report. Thank you very much. It's been a Take pleasure. care. That is Dr Siobhan O'Sullivan from UCC. She's the Principal Investigator of this report on older people. Highlight their concerns around ageing within rural Ireland. Uh, your views are welcome on 0818 103 103. We'll get to a lot of those views after 11 o'clock. Also text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103. Plus, as more people return to the office, more dogs are being sent to the pounds. We're going to hear about a rehoming and indeed a foster programme from Dogs Trust Ireland. JP in for Patricia on till one on Cork today. Uh, Patricia still stick today. Hopefully she'll be back on Monday. So with you until one and Bernie taking your comments on phone 0818 103 103 or you can text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103 If you're on the roads I've got a number of texts from people who say Rathcormark big delays due to road work so if you're heading in the direction of Rathcormark expect delays going in and out of Rathcormark due to those road works there are delays there across the morning and on and I mentioned roads on oil and this is something we touched on earlier on with the cost of living uh, Jim is asking though why is no one 
JP mentioning that a barrel of oil has fallen from $140 to less than $110 a barrel. And yet there is not one cent reduction at the pumps. It's pure greed, says Jim. And while at the moment it looks, prices I think are ranging from 180 to 188 uh, it's 180 for petrol 188 for diesel in some petrol stations uh, and diesel stations pushing over 190 as well but it hasn't fallen uh, a lot and Jim saying that while the barrel of oil falls we don't see the reduction but as soon as it increases we see a big reduction and that is always the excuse have you noticed that there's no change so far anyhow in the pumps unless they will reduce over the next while and uh, all the fuel operators will say if there is a reduction it will take a number of weeks to implement because they're working off the supply they have Uh, But then again, the argument that we always get back is when there's an increase, if they're still working on the old supply, we all meet the increase. And a number of people reacting to what the IMF has said when they were in town, they were looking at Ireland's economy. And within that, they gave Ireland a good rate for the economy, good news going ahead that our economy looks good. It's a positive news story when it comes to the economy. But then they were uh, talking about uh, bankers and that bankers pay should be increased. The cap, of course, uh, that is on bankers pay in this country from the crash we had a number of years ago that that should now basically be gone, be scrapped and the bankers should be allowed to get a big pay scale and the bonuses that are taxed at 89% that that should be also reduced and taken away. And while they said that regarding the bankers and their pay increase on the other side of things, they did say that they feel the government should gradually increase very low property tax rates in this country and this must be done while ensuring adequate social safeguards Uh, but the mention of increasing property tax rates has angered a lot of people and when they say very low a lot of people make the point if it's very low why are we all struggling to pay it Uh, Here's a lot of comments on that. First of all, Mary is in Blarney. Mary says, I'm a pensioner. I live alone. The property tax for pensioners should be abolished. It is very hard to live as a pensioner. They want to take away fireplaces, heating, as you discussed. And now they have taken away the fuel allowance for some. Mary has already paid tax through her mortgage. She has already paid for her house and they have the cheek to ask her to pay tax on her own property. Her tax is over five. 100 euros per year and she's expected to live on 13,000 euros per year. It is making her depressed, says Mary and she can see no way out. Today's pensioners are the people who made this country. Uh, Yet we are struggling to survive, says Mary in Blarney. While Jimmy is in Mayfield, Jimmy says, how ironic have we learned nothing in this country? I do respect what the IMF has said and what they have done during the crash. They said a lot of things that we all knew in this country and they made sense regarding wages and the way the country was going. But while they did make sense then, removing the paying cap for bankers and increasing the property tax? Really? Says Jimmy. How is that fair? Before energy increases, we struggled with this tax and now it could increase again. Marion is in Skibbereen. Marion saying, and remembering this, she says, was it not Inda Kenny? And I think it was Marion that said, many years ago, there should never be a tax on someone's home 
and now look where we are says Marion in Skibbereen while Kira is in Crosshaven uh, Kira says yet we pay this property tax and we see no return from our investment so why should it increase if you pay something you want something in return we see nothing in return uh, from our investment within the property tax uh, thank you Kira in Crosshaven on 0818 103 103 text or WhatsApp 0862103103 reacting to what the IMF is saying regarding what the government should do uh, but again some positive news regarding our economy and when we were talking about Irish water and what is happening within the lack of communication from Irish water, uh, Martin was on by WhatsApp and Martin says, it seems to me the EU and the Irish government wants us to secretly revolt and end the current business model and certain ludicrous administration decisions that have been made down through the years. Don't anyone tell us there are no solutions? Where is the compassion for the common man and woman from the EU and the Irish government? There are real solutions out there to all these problems. We are educated in this country. We are not stupid or dummies, says Martin. And that could go back as well to what the IMF are saying, I suppose. While John in Clonakilty says, Usher was set up by Fine Gael and Labour a while in government. Can you ask those councillors what do they think of it now? Well, uh, John and Clonakilty, they're not very happy because uh, the councillors together as a collective uh, bunch, the council and the mayor have written to Irish Water and, you know, they've heard nothing as yet so overall you speak to any councillor and we have spoken to those spoken to those in the past who are not unhappy and they have been members of Fine Gael and Labour uh, and, and they're not happy with the outcome uh, that Irish Water has become uh, or the outfit it has become and when you mentioned that and when I mentioned what happened with the mayor and the letter to or the email to Irish Water we have asked Irish Water in our correspondence with them yesterday afternoon when they came back exactly outlining more details of what's happening with the Kelevullen boil water notice uh, we did ask them if they did receive uh, contributions or indeed uh, communication from the mayor's office regarding a meeting of Irish Water officials to go into County Hall and meet with uh, councillors in one of their council meetings uh, we did ask them did they receive uh, uh, communication. Uh, we were still waiting to hear back from Irish Water and if we do, if they say that is, uh, we asked them also if they did receive the confirmation, why didn't they reply back and organise this meeting? So we'll wait and see what Irish Water come back with on that. But your views are welcome on 0818 103 103 or you can text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103 and a lot of people very unhappy with what was said in the Doyle last night regarding Peach Brigettes and this is how they now could be banned as well. Uh, Eamon Ryan uh, mentioning this last night in the Dáil when he was being questioned about coal ban. Uh, that is due to come in, the smoky fuels ban even, which will involve smoky coal, which is due to come in from September. And this is what he said in case you missed it regarding Pete. I'll be perfectly honest. I'll be looking at the science there to make sure. Are we absolutely certain that those peats, peat briquettes, because of the way they're processed, because of the way they burn, are below the 10 micrograms of pollution that's put out of the atmosphere. We have to be straight about that and and make sure that it is the case. Angela reacting to that says I cannot get gas where I live and I would have to re-change my house if I was to get oil heating so I am just now leaving or living with with the coal with the peat briquettes and sometimes turf uh, turf I don't always use but I would use peat quite a lot and indeed I have it's the only way that I can f- heat my home I've no other option if they are now going to ban peat as well I'll only be left with coal. 
And while coal is great, you do need extra in your fire. I think, Angela says, all your listeners would agree, coal does the job, but turf and peat can add that extra heat. If they are going to ban peat now as well, where will this all end? Well, he did, as you heard there, he said he's going to look at the pollution, I suppose, that comes from peat briquettes and the excess uh, the pollution that they do produce. And if they do go above, whatever they go above, well, they could be on the banning list as well. We'll have to wait and see if that mentions in the door last night. Your viewers are welcome on that. 0818103103 or indeed text or WhatsApp 0862103103. Bernie taking your calls right across the morning. And on the way, many people are returning to the office and many people have in the last two or three years while they were at home purchased a pet mainly dogs now though that everybody's going back to the office unfortunately the dogs are ending up in pounds we're going to hear about a foster programme from Dogs Trust Ireland and what they are seeing on the ground next C103 Jobs with Munster Technological University enhance your career prospects with MTU's range of full-time part-time and professional courses succeeding together with MTU.ie a security engineer is wanted for Bandon with the knowledge of CCTV installation security alarms and gate automation training will be provided, email your CV to accounts at crononelectrical.com. The Clonakilty Park Hotel have vacancies for a part-time receptionist and a full and part-time bar staff. Email your CV to mcarolan at clonakiltyparkhotel.ie and a carpenter is wanted in the Donnerell area. You can call 086 or send your CV to jobs at hamiltonfrench.com You'll find these jobs and more in detail right now on c103.ie forward slash jobs You're listening to Cork Today on Replay Phone and text lines are currently closed Cork Today on C103 Call Patricia with your comment 0818-103-103. Over the past number of years, a lot of people have invested, especially families, in a pet. But now as people return to the workplace, many dogs are ending up needing a home or some unfortunately ending up in pounds. Well, Lisa O'Donovan joins me. She is the Foster and Volunteer Coordinator for Munster with Dogs Trust to Ireland. A very good morning to you, Lisa. Good morning, John Paul, and to uh, all your listeners. And thanks for joining us. Great to speak to you again. And I remember just about a month ago regarding a story, and this was to do with dog charities that could not cope with the amount of dogs in their pounds. And so much so, and this was a very sad part, that some of those dogs they had were going to be put to sleep. That's cr- uh, The situation has gotten very out of control. But I suppose, in fairness, we saw this matter and this issue arising um, after the pandemic where so many people took in dogs. Uh, They didn't care where they got them from. They bought them um, and and things like that and took them into their care. And then suddenly life started slowly to return to normal and the dogs were surplus to requirements. And unfortunately, all of the different welfare centres, including ourselves, are inundated with requests for people to relinquish their dogs. And this all goes back to the start of the pandemic, really, when people were all working from home. Many people, you know, we weren't allowed to go beyond 2K, 5K. So for some reason, everybody thought, let's buy a dog. So while there was a huge demand for puppies and massive prices being paid, uh, they're now ending up, those puppies that were costing a lot of money are now going back into pounds. And, and this is the reason for this. So it's still an important reminder, Lisa, for people, if you do purchase a dog, there was a phrase once used that it's not just for Christmas. They are for life. 
They are. I don't think that people actually realise it. They didn't think it through. And I know the pandemic changed our lives. It changed the way we thought about life. Um, we took it as an opportunity to go out and, and walk around our area, even though it was very limited. And what better way to do that um, than with a companion dog? But, I mean, as you say, they are for life. They're not just for Christmas. And now we are uh, reaping the consequences, I suppose, really. Now, you're working with Dogs Trust and because of what is happening and instead of what I was mentioning there about the, the awful uh, effects of dogs going to a pound or, or dogs going to anywhere and that they can't cope with the amount of dogs they're receiving. So they're, they're putting them down. So something that will help this from, from happening is foster families. And that's what you're working with within Dogs Trust. Tell us about this and how does this work? Well, I'm delighted to be representing Dogs Trust in North Cork and the whole of the Munster area because um, from my dealings with people in in North Cork before, communities are absolutely fantastic here. And what we're looking for is we're trying to develop our regional programme, John Paul. And basically what it is, is there's a lot of people who now we're in financial times, money is hard. They'd like to give care and companionship to a dog but they're not able to afford it, but they want to help dogs in need. And that's where our regional foster program comes into place, where people um, um, can submit an application form to us. We tick all the boxes, and then we give them a buzz and have a chat with them and try and match them up with a dog that needs help. And we need foster homes for dogs that are troubled. Um, that's a lot of the reason dogs end up going back into care because they have issues, they have separation anxiety issues because they were living in homes where people were there all of the time and then had to go back to work. They were left on their own. They became destructive and people said, no, I don't want this dog in the house. And the aim of the program is to get people on board that they'll foster a dog. We provide the food, the collar, the lead, and there's 24-hour help available. I am happy to liaise with everyone who comes on in the Munster region. And it's like having a pet dog, but not having the financial responsibility and having someone at the end of the phone who's going to help you, you know, if you're facing a little bit of difficulty, you want a bit of behaviour help. There's someone at the end of the phone who's going to help you. And when you mentioned there the financial difficulties, is that the case of, well, the dog is in your home and you look after the dog, uh, do you get support in relation to dog food or, or, or what do you mean by that? Yes, we provide the dog food. So when you get your foster dog, we send a big bag of food of it. And as long as the dog isn't foster with you, um, then we will provide the food that's needed. And obviously, if there's any uh, veterinary care um, that, uh, you know, if the dog became sick or if it needed vaccinations, um, certainly um, we will organise that for the foster family. And I think what's important about the fostering is that you as the foster parent will document the dog's journey with you and all the information that we can get about that dog will help us build up its adoption profile to find its forever home. Because, John Paul, when animals come into us, they end up going into kennels And, you know, kennels are very dark, dreary, lonely places for dogs who have been used to being living in houses or, you know, maybe dogs that have been abandoned and then suddenly they're in behind four walls um, and they're not getting the kind of hands-on attention that you'd like to be giving them and they're not getting chances to be dogs. 
Very true. And I mean, you have worked over the years with so many uh, animals and cruelty to animals, at least I suppose in one way when an animal is going to a pound, they are going to be looked after in some capacity. It's awful to think that some are going to be put to sleep, but in some capacity they are looked after. Are we going to see an increase also, which we I know we are already seeing in cruelty in animals dumped on roadsides and animals just straying around because, you know, starving, looking for food because they have been abandoned by those who decided to take one in for the, during the pandemic and lockdowns and now basically can't keep the dog anymore. Yes, uh, I mean, as you said, John Paul, I've seen I've seen a lot of hardship for animals, and and that's why I'm very privileged to be at this other end of it, where now I'm taking responsibility for actually getting getting them into homes. And the thing about a dog is that when you take a dog out of a bad situation and put it into a kennel, that dog doesn't realise that you're making changes for its better. You've turned its world upside down because you've put it into a kennel environment, there's other dogs barking, it feels very lonely, it feels very frightened. And that's why we want the foster program to work, so that the dogs can go into a home environment and get the love and attention. But also, it means for every dog we put into a foster home, we have space in kennels to rescue in one more. And we have waiting lists of dogs that people are not able to look after. They want us to take them into our care, but we can't do that until we create spaces for them. And I can see a lot of texts coming in asking about the dog that they would foster. I mean, does the person themselves, do they pick the dog or do you choose the dog that you would feel would suit them? If people were to contact us, um, we'll get on the phone to them and we'll tell them about the dogs. We'll check the environment. We'll have a chat with them, get to know the people and their environment and they'll try and match them with the dog that might best suit them. Um, and then what happens is when we've all that done, um, one of our uh, one of our care um, assistants will come and deliver the dog to the home. So they don't actually even have to travel. We'll come to you with the dog. We'll do all the hard work. We'll do all the legwork. So, for example, one of the texts that I've got here is from Noel. He said he'd like to get involved in this and give a dog a home. Uh, he lives on his own and he would like a small terrier like a Jack Russell about 12 to 18 months. So if someone like that comes to you like Noel, do you facilitate them the best way you can? We do. We do. I mean, we will. If Noel said, yes, this is what I'm looking for, we'll take a note of that. And as soon as we got the dog that was going to suit him into our care, we'd give him a buzz and tell him about that dog. So if people wish to get involved in, do they contact yourself, Lisa, or does it go through Dog they Trust can. Office? They yeah. can. Um, they can email me at lisa.odonovan at dogstrust.ie or they can go onto the Dogs Trust website and follow the links there. And our special appeal that we're looking for is for loving, caring people to take in special needs dogs. Uh, maybe people who don't have a dog at the moment, who don't have children in the house, who don't have cats in the house, who would take on one of our dogs. Like we have one dog at the moment on our website. Her name is Tasha. And she's a very large breed. Um, she's a mastiff breed. But she is a lovely dog. But she is just not doing well in the kennel environment. But again, you need someone who's willing to give that little bit of time and love to that dog to try and get her relaxed and let her be a dog again. Yeah, because they've gone through so much, they are going to find it difficult to, to settle into a new home given what they've gone through. So that must you must be aware of that if you are fostering a dog. And is it a case then, Lisa, that people foster the dog but they fall in love with this particular pet and they want to keep the dog? What happens in that situation? 
Yes, the classic fail foster. Unfortunately, <laughs> yeah. I'm very guilty of that myself. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, if someone adopts a dog, um, you have the dog and you have constant contact with us during the week. If you don't want constant contact, we're not going to be fleeing your ear. We're there to help and support. But yes, if you decide after the week, oh my God, I love this dog, I couldn't possibly give it back. Well, then um, you you can go through the adoption process. So that is there for you to do it. And um, if you do not want to part with this dog, well, then we're happy. We're happy for you to adopt. And Anne on WhatsApp is making a point that maybe people might agree with her. She goes, those people who purchased those dogs during the pandemic, she feels they should be fined and the money going to the likes of Dogs Trust because those people who are basically being cruel and are giving up their dogs because they now don't don't want them as they return to normal life. She also making a very strong point that they should not be allowed to have children. That's probably a, a separate matter. But on the dogs issue, uh, would you agree with Anne? If, if people are coming along to a pound or dumping their dogs, find them. They should be traced back and, and fined for purchasing an animal and then when things go back to normal, giving up the dog. I, I think it is a problem um, out there. Um, I've come a lot, uh, across a lot of people in the, in the last 12 months and you take one look at them and you listen to them and you think this dog is not going to last. Um, I think it's too easy for people um, to get dogs. And when we're buying dogs, I think we're, we're all aware of the situation with how dogs are bred and how dogs are bought. Um, I think it's too easy. It's made too easy in this country. Um, we've, when people sign up to our adoption or our fostering program, we invite them to do a Zoom talk, um, which is held twice a week. And um, where one of my colleagues um, talks about adopting and fostering a dog, trust dog. And I think that's the first step, the commitment. Um, it's like when you're get, applying for a driving license, you're, you're required to do a driving test to make you responsible. And I do think that there should be some sort of, um, I suppose, even adult education program um, for people who are considering bringing an animal into their home. It's just too easy for people to go and uh, and buy dogs. Adoption process and foster process is a process where you have to tick boxes and answer questions. But when you're buying, and unfortunately when you're buying from scrupulous breeders, it's too easy. It is way too easy to bring a dog, a living creature, into your home. And I presume when you say that, we're still having problems. So in many parts of the county, when it comes to puppy farms and sales then out of those puppy farms in car parks, basically, or on roadsides. Yes, John Paul, I'm saddened that it's still going on. I'm not, I'm not surprised. Um, you know, we can look for people to lobby for uh, the government to intervene. But at the end of the day, the problem stops with you and me. Uh, it's the buyer is the person. If people stopped buying, if people became aware and became more educated about what's actually really going on out there, it would make a difference. But the buck stops with us. We are the ones that have to make a difference going forward um, people we'd even find that we'd have some beautiful collies in our care and people don't want them they want the little the cabochons or the cockapoos and, and dogs like that um, and even if we get them into our care they're whipped up straight away people want the designer breeds I have to say I have collies and terriers myself John Paul and they are smashing dogs especially collies we think of collies being only pets that you can have in kind of a rural environment. Um, uh, but uh, collie dogs um, do very well with, with people who are capable of looking after them and uh, treating them well. 
Indeed, and hopefully by having the conversation like this, people will wise up and, you know, you only purchase a dog if you can. Uh, the one thing that, that is coming in on text is people thinking about those who are giving off their much-loved dog and don't want to because of the rising cost of energy and bills and they can't afford to keep a dog. Is that something you're, you're seeing? I know we kind of touched on it, but is that something you're seeing more of from people more or less crying, going, giving up their dog? They don't want to, but they can't support the dog anymore, not to mind themselves. That is very true, and that's very important. Um, I see people getting a really hard time when they turn around and say, I have to give up my dog. There's a lot of human hardship. Um, We see it from people who've been made unemployed, they can't afford it, or illness, illness in people's um, lives uh, or other reasons that they have to part with their dogs. And there again, that's why Dogs Trust is, is really trying to spread the net and get as many fosters or even adopters um, in the Munster area because we've got waiting lists of people with genuine hardships in their lives who need for us to take their dogs. But again, we cannot take their dogs into our care until such a time as um, we are able to um, empty our kennels more and our rehoming centres. Very good. With the very best of luck to you, Lisa, with Dogs Trust and the work you're doing there. And if people need more information, you can get that from us here on 0818103103 for the moment. Lisa, thanks for joining us this morning. Thank you very much. Good morning to you. Take care. That is Lisa O'Donovan. She is the Foster and Volunteer Coordinator for Munster with Dogs Trust Ireland. Record today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 086 The commemoration of the 107th anniversary of the sinking of the Lusitania will take place in Cove this Sunday. The Lusitania sank off the old head of Kinsale and Jack Walsh is from Cove Tourism and joins me this morning. Good morning to you, Jack. Good morning, John Paul. How are you? I'm fine and thanks for joining us. It was on the afternoon of May 7th that the German U-boat torpedoed Lusitania, about 18 kilometres off the old head of Kinsale. And this was declared then uh, inside the war zone. It was a second explosion that resulted in her to sink, uh, resulting in thousands of deaths. And a lot of those people that survived would have been taken to Cove. And a lot of those, unfortunately, who didn't then uh, were buried in the area. Exactly, yes. Um, well, I suppose for a lot of people at the time, it meant that World War I had just arrived in this country. So it was a scary time. Prior to that, everything was happening over in France. Um, and all of a sudden, just right uh, off the coast of, of, uh, of Cork, the Germans decided to torpedo um, a cruise ship uh, and World War I arrived. Very fateful day in lots of ways. In, the, in, the, you know, in a short space of time, 1,198 people died in the space of about 30 minutes. A huge number of huge people. Number. And yeah. the fact, as you mentioned, it's like something we're watching at the moment when you look at exactly. uh, what's happening in Ukraine. It's yeah. happening somewhere else and we're doing the best we can here. But if it happens on your own doorstep, if something was to happen here and there's been threats made, yeah. it changes everything. It changes our view and that would have changed people's view of the war at that time because this boat it was travelling from New York to Liverpool. Correct, yeah. Uh, and it's... It, um it changed course slightly. There's a, there's a lot of conspiracy theories over, you know, why it didn't uh, change course a bit more, why it wasn't protected more, uh, which in some ways makes it a very interesting story, uh, a lot more interesting in my view than Titanic, but uh, because of the conspiracy theories surrounding it. Um, but yeah, unfortunately, as it, as it came to the shore uh, of the old Hedekin sail, torpedo, bang, thank you very much. Uh, and then a massive, a massive loss of life. 
And the Lusitania, the propeller uh, from uh, the ship, uh, that is on display in Merseyside, in the Merseyside, Merseyside Maritime Museum in Liverpool at the Albert yeah. Dock. It's fascinating to see items like that on display. Uh, is, is there any memorials in the Cork area like that they have in Liverpool? Um, well, obviously, the, the uh, old head signal tower in uh, just outside Kinsale would have certain stuff. Uh, and I believe even this weekend that they're having... Um, there's a lady whose grandmother was uh, on the Lusitania, who was presumed dead, but uh, later was found to be alive. Uh, the, the, the granddaughter is actually uh, making a presentation to the committee at the Old Head Signal Tower uh, tomorrow, I believe, tomorrow afternoon. Yeah, and um, it's, it's such a poignant moment for, for people like that who had relatives yeah, on, on the ship. Exactly, and, and, uh, and a great story in that, you know, um, her grandmother was in the morgue, they assumed she was dead. Uh, and somebody spotted her fingers moving, uh, and sort of, all of a sudden, there's a little bit of panic, and this lady's alive. Wow! Great story. Yeah, uh, very lucky. I've just to be been alive. talking to the lady. Actually, she's. Uh, she, I'm here at the Cove Heritage Centre, and she came in with um, Padraig Ben from the Old Head Signal Tower just mm-hmm. to to visit uh, our exhibition. So I've had a, a nice chat with her early this morning. So it was nice to to have sort of. Um, I suppose history sort of coming back, uh, and you've you've got a, you've got somebody who has a great connection to the Lusitania. When she sees the exhibition, then I mean, obviously, it brings back memories of the stories that she's been told oh, of yes. what happened at that time. You know, how how was she seeing the, the way you have laid out there? Uh, she's still in there. Oh, is she? Okay, I've, uh, I've left her in there. I told yeah. her I'd get back to her after this, but you know, um, I, I'm sure she will. Um, relive some of the stuff that her grandmother told her and it will bring basically bring back certain memories of her grandmother obviously yeah of course um but it's just great to have people who come back at times like this um and you know they're they're able to see the story from our point of view and from everyone else's point of view but they have their own personal uh, stories which is great yeah, and, and they're the stories that people want to hear now. I mean, we're very aware of what happened historically, but it's those stories that people uh, like to hear on the forefront of those who were impacted by this. Very emotional as well, though, for someone like that lady on what happened to her grandmother. Yeah, yeah. And, and to see the how things are being remembered today. And speaking of remembering, as I mentioned earlier, the bodies of those who did not survive, unfortunately, they were then taken to Cove. So what is happening, what is planned for Cove this coming Sunday? Well, we have uh, an annual commemoration um, for the victims of the Lusitania, and it, it, it normally takes place on the Sunday closest to the 7th of May. So, obviously, we're doing it this Sunday. Mm. Um, so, at about 2.30 p.m. in the afternoon, um, at the old church cemetery uh, uh, by the Lusitania plot, where, where those bodies are buried, uh, there'll be a commemoration ceremony. So there'll be a colour party, there'll be representatives of the army, the navy, uh, the Royal British Legion, uh, military police, etc. Um, prayers, hymns um, from the Commodore Choir, etc. And then laying, laying wreaths uh, on the graves. And also the names of the 160 bodies that are buried there will be read out. And what time again does that? Two uh, thirty on Sunday afternoon. Two thirty on Sunday, and yeah. at the moment, tourism is is quite busy in Cove, uh, and uh, the cruise ships are, are are coming in and out. I mean, do you see an increase in, especially with events like this, but also within the Heritage Centre there because of the commemorations for Lusitania, but also of the tourist season that that is happening there? 
Oh yes, I mean obviously over the the last number of weeks uh, things have started to improve greatly. Now we're we're not uh, anything like the level things were at in 2019, but it is great to see um, you know busloads of tourists coming in, cruise ships arriving, uh, and you know the Irish people are still uh, wandering around, getting to know their own country. So it's great. Um, you know, we've I think every uh, industry has had two tough years, uh, and it's nice to be able to get back and, and get out there. And get back on the horse, as they say. Yeah, totally, indeed. Well, uh, Ahmad, is that a, a sad a commemoration occasion, Jack? The very best of luck to you all this Sunday in Cove and indeed also to all those organising uh, similar tomorrow in the old Hill of Kinsale. Uh, and pass on our, our love to that lady as she remembers her grandmother today as well with you there. By all means. Listen, thanks very much indeed, John Take Paul. care, Jack. Thank you. That is Jack Walsh there from Cove Heritage Centre, also from Cove Tourism, on what they are doing this coming weekend on the commemoration of the 107th anniversary of the sinking of the Lusitania. And as that was uh, struck off the old head of Kinsale, there are events tomorrow at the old head and again from 2.30 in Cove on Sunday. We remember all those who unfortunately lost their lives in uh, the sinking of the Lusitania off our coastline. Our lines are open. 0818103103 you can text or whatsapp 0862103103 M on whatsapp uh, she says John Paul I have a rant about outdoor seating and this is in O'Brien Street in Kenturk and this I presume is the outdoor seating the councils uh, did implement over the last was it two years or so where there was seating put in many of the towns and there was mixed views a lot of people welcomed them and then other people had uh, different views because they felt they were taking away parking spaces and that it was reducing those who could enter the town anyhow Im's uh, message here is it's right this outdoor seating at a pedestrian crossing and she says it's very hard to see pedestrians who want to cross at that crossing as the seating is high and it obscures the vision of the motorists it's an accident waiting to happen and several motorists have had to brake suddenly to avoid hitting pedestrians. Now, Cork County Council are aware of this and as yet there is nothing happening about it and to make matters worse there are plants up on it also. So she's asking, will Cork County Council then be liable if there is an accident at that crossing? A lower surround option around the seating would be more acceptable and safer for pedestrians and indeed for motorists, says M. So on outdoor seating, uh, a lot of them in different towns are very similar to the one that Im is talking about in Kanturk. And her solution will be to reduce the, I suppose, the, the kind of fencing or paving or whatever they have around the actual seating area. That more than likely is there for privacy for those who are sitting down. But if that was reduced down, it would make it easier then for the motorists, first of all, to see the zebra crossing and those who are trying to cross the uh, pedestrian crossing in Kanturk, but also uh, for those pedestrians to make it safer for them in case they get knocked down. Uh, your views are welcome in the Kanturk area, but also elsewhere where this outdoor seating has been placed, has impacted on motorist view uh, in particular at a pedestrian crossing but also if it has taken away parking spaces your views are welcome on 0818 103 103 Bernie taking those calls you can text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103 and on the way after midday we'll be hearing uh, from a protest that is underway in the city centres to highlight the crisis in children's disability services and it's a national protest taking place across the country and the one in Cork is taking place in Grand Parade it's by Families Unite for Services and Support we spoke to 
arrested him a number of weeks ago. Uh, they called themselves FUS. So that's the exact meaning, though, for them. And basically, it's a group of parents who have come together along with other organisations and they're just calling on the HSC to address, basically, the, the failure in the rollout of disability services. Also, to highlight the waiting list that we all know and see within the health service for those who are trying to access it for their children who may have disabilities or for other reasons for for various therapies they just can't access the services due to the ongoing waiting list that they come across and also as anybody uh, who has ever dealt with the any any public service regarding uh, someone who may have a disability or trying to access services you have to fight all the time it's not as as if the services come to you or you apply and fill out a number of forms there's a big fight on every single time so we'll speak with them uh, and our reporter Murray Tuig is at that process so she'll join us as well and we'll hear from those protesting this morning and also ahead a lot of your calls and comments on the various issues we have been discussing across the show to do with property tax and indeed uh, to do with heating your homes or with the talks now that people get could be banned as well from this country from September along with our movie review with Mark after 12.30 and your comment, calls and comments they're welcome as always 0818103103 or you can text or WhatsApp 0862103103 JP in until one with Cork today and your views are welcome Bernie taking those on 0818103103 or you can text or WhatsApp 0862103103 Now a lot of calls and comments in on various issues we have been discussing a busy morning it is on the programme and we will be going to that protest that is happening in Cork City on Grand Parade for those parents who are fighting for the needs of their children when it comes to those who have disabilities and are trying to access care and indeed services from our health service. But as we all know, they're met with long waiting lists and a lot of promises that don't turn into action. Anyhow, we'll hear from those parents very shortly. Also, after 12.30, going to the movies and looking at a few movies that Mark has reviewed this week. Uh, But first, your calls and comments. First of all, to do with property tax, a lot of people reacting to what the IMF have said. Well, they're going to, well, they want the increase in or the cap on uh, the pay for bankers to be removed, which will lead to an increase in pay for bankers. They feel the property tax then that that should also be increased because they feel it's very low for the country. So on one hand, the bankers will get more money while the ordinary working person uh, will have to pay more for property tax. Uh, Many people earlier in the show were saying that they don't see the return for investment for their money and surely with people struggling as it is and to mention that bankers will get more money and the IMF were first of all in this country because bankers destroyed the country. You could say one of the many that did, uh, then the banking cap is going to be removed when it comes to pay. And yes, we'll have to pay higher uh, with property tax. And on this, and this is something that Mary said earlier on regarding the property tax, uh, she says, Anne says, I'm a pensioner as well. Like Mary, I feel it should be abolished when it comes to people of a certain age because I have paid a mortgage. I have done so on my house and I have paid all taxes. And now yesterday I had to borrow the money to pay the property tax as I only get the state pension, uh, says Anne. So, I mean, when you're in that situation that you're paying, uh, you're first of all, you're borrowing money to pay the property tax. I mean, when that is happening, uh, you're in a situation 
to, to go along to either a bank or a credit union to look for a loan to pay the property tax as the IMF are saying it should be increased because it's very low and if you're going to that bank for example then are the ones that will be entitled to the pay increase it, it is very frustrating thank you Anne for your WhatsApp when it comes to uh, the property tax also on fuel and what Eamon Ryan said yesterday evening in Dolair and this was regarding that peat prickets are now going to be also in line uh, to be seeing an increase uh, not an increase sorry to be banned as part of fuel purchase in this country this is exactly what he said last night even on the peat briquettes I'll be perfectly honest I'll be looking at the science there to make sure are we absolutely certain that those peats peat briquettes because of the way they're processed because of the way they burn are below the 10 micrograms of pollution that's put out of the atmosphere we have to be straight about that and, and make sure that it is the case so a lot of people disagreeing with him and feel that they should be kept. First of all, uh, WhatsApp are saying the government are going to freeze us all this year if they take everything away from us. First of all, turf, now smoky coal and now peat. Uh, this is all controlling the people's lives. This country is not a free country anymore. Free speech is everything, says that person on WhatsApp. While a new market listener says uh, people need to protest like they did with Irish water. Uh, the Green Party leader, Eamon Ryan, I feel, says this new market listener has not a clue about living in polluted areas or living with pollution. Do they think by doing this that people will live forever? No, I'm afraid. Sorry, Mr. Ryan, but you're on a different planet, says this person from Newmarket. And the rest of the Irish people, for example, all our grandparents and the generations before them, they all lived, not all, but so many who lived nearly until they were 100 or older. But they all lit fires, they all burned rubbish and the simple things in life are going to be taken off us. Our fire, the only pleasure we have in our homes. We have now a shame on this government if they go ahead with this. Uh, this listener says, remember, God is the only person we answer to in life. Uh, so that's from a new market listener uh, on their issue to do with few and the, as Eamon Ryan uh, pointed out last night looking now at peat and they're going to see if that goes above certain pollution levels and if it does that'll be the next item uh, for banning in this country when it comes to heating your home and we also discussed a listener this was in who sent the WhatsApp in earlier on regarding the outdoor eating areas and the outdoor seating areas mainly that are in all towns across Cork they were put in over the pandemic by the councils and there was some people who really enjoyed these and supported them others then were not so happy because they felt that they were taking away either parking spaces or they were dangerous at pedestrian crossings. Im uh, was informing us that she felt the one in Kanturk was dangerous for the pedestrian crossing and, and in Kanturk agrees. Uh, she says that outdoor area in Kanturk is encroaching on the pedestrian crossing. She has complained to the guards and councillors but they don't seem to want to know and she says the guardie have admitted to her that it is an offence and it is offensive to where it is but they still don't want to do anything anything about it uh, feels Anne in Kanturk. Some of your views coming into us on the issues we've discussed earlier this morning to Bernie on 0818 103 103 or you can text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103 but I want to go to a national protest that has taken place across the country but uh, the one that has taken place here in Cork is on Grand Parade and it's from families who basically have come together they call themselves FUS and that stands for Families Unite for Services and Support. We're going to hear from those families 
and our news reporter Marae Tuig next. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council delivering roads and housing, community and business supports all across the county. See corkcoco.ie. Ballon has the Community Development Association. They are holding a social dancing. It's on tonight in the Marion Hall in Ballon with a dancing to Peter Burke. It starts from 9.30 and proceeds go back to the Development Association. And bingo is going ahead in Mallow GAA Complex tonight at 8.15pm. The jackpot this week is €2,750. Kildallery Bingo will be held in the Old Store in the Creamery Yard. That's going ahead tonight. Doors open at 7pm. It starts there at 8 o'clock. And White Church and Rockbawn GAA Clubs. They will host a quiz in aid of Ukraine Red Cross Appeal. It's on tonight at 9 o'clock in Buckley's Bar in Whitechurch. Teams of four and they'll auction a signed sports jersey and spot prizes also on the night. And the rescheduled fundraising gig for Kishgame Playground that will be held in Kishgame Church this evening at 8 o'clock. The main act is the Shandrum Cayley Band and also the Kishgame Brass Band. Anne-Marie O'Reardon and Boerboy Comprehensive Choir will be in attendance and any tickets bought for the original date in March 2020 they are still valid and tickets will also be available at the door. Record today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 0818103103. And on the banning of peat, which we heard there from uh, the Green Party leader, Minister Eamon Ryan, uh, Pat says Eamon Ryan has some cheek uh, to do what he is saying. Him and his party need to go, uh, says Pat. While Tom says, and this was a point that was made earlier in the show as well, Tom, uh, Eamon Ryan says Tom has no bother getting on a plane and that does more damage than a bag of turf says Tom but it's John on WhatsApp who says JP fair play to the disability protests that are on today 96,000 people are on general waiting lists and some waiting two years just to see a consultant considering the huge budget we are not getting value for money from the HSC it needs root and branch reform the private health system is efficient the public system is out of control says John on WhatsApp to 0862103 103 and that is where we are going now because the crisis in children's disability service is the focus of as what John said is a national protest taking place right across the country. The Cork protest took place in Grand Parade earlier this morning. It's by Families Unite for Services and Support. We spoke to them a few weeks ago on the show. They called themselves FUS and they're calling on the HSC to address the failure of their rollout of progressive disability systems in this country. Our news reporter Murray Tuig is at the protest uh, this afternoon. She joins us live from Grand Parade. Good afternoon to you, Marais. Good afternoon, John Paul. And we're going to hear from people you spoke with uh, who attended the protest and why they attended very shortly. But first of all, was there a big attendance? There was. It was great. Uh, a big attendance. Obviously, you know, heartbreaking because a lot of people who were there have lived experience of this, you know, and they're gathering together to to make a fuss is, you know, the the point of this. So they marched from, there was a few speeches on Grand Parade initially and marched around the city up Patrick Street, Winthrop Street, down Oliver Plunkett Street and back over to Grand Parade again. And, you know, getting the message out there and I suppose spreading awareness of the situation they're in. Because I think for a lot of people, what they feel is that, 
people who haven't experienced this maybe aren't aware of what it's like to for this to be you know your life and to to live with this and um so they wanted to spread that message out there and get the point across so as you say yeah, I spoke to to a number of people who were there and they've been telling me you know of, of their situation and including um a 15 year old Katie Byrne she's from Cove she was there with her mom Antoinette today and, and Katie spoke as uh, she addressed the crowd and I, I caught up with her after so I think you you have that audio there yeah too. here's you now speaking to uh, Katie as you've mentioned uh, great to see young people getting involved more age in these protests also this is Katie from Cove uh, just age 15 who spoke to you a short while ago I'm here because um, disability services are ridiculous at this point they're not doing anything to help me nor anybody else that has spoke um, and it's pretty much just to tell the government and the treaties that we need help because they're not listening to us they say they are but they're not and uh, tell me a bit about your situation. Um, I have cerebral palsy. I was born with it. It's normally caused due during pregnancy or delivery. Um, and it's a physical disability that, in my case, prohibits my legs. So I couldn't walk before the age of seven, but I had SDR surgery so that I could walk. Um, and... Before I went for that surgery, they used to give me physio, they used to help me, but because I stepped out of their box, they stopped helping me, they stopped giving me physio. And you ended up stepping out of their box? So they basically told us not to go for the surgery to help me walk because I'll end up back in a wheelchair. But I was already in a wheelchair, so it made no difference. And because we went against what they said, they decided, we're not going to help you anymore. They didn't say it, but they haven't helped me since. How old are you? I'm 15. And are you in school? Uh, yeah, I'm in second year. And what does the, how does this impact, I guess, on your school life? Um, well, I have an SNA for like to help me with specific things. I also have a learning difficulty, so I go to resource things like that. The school is better with my services anyway, but um, sometimes if my SNA is out, my friends will offer to help me because they don't have someone to replace my SNA. So it's not great sometimes. And I heard you talk there about your physio and that was that they, you were told to get your siblings to help you out. Yeah. Um, my physiotherapist, I think it was about a month ago, asked me, well, asked my mum, could she get my the two twins in my house, my brother and my sister, to do my physio for me? They're two years older than me and they have no idea how and it's not fair on them. And uh, what would be your main message now from today to government? <laughs> that it seems like a perfect picture with private health care, but the public health care system is a joke. That's Katie Byrne, just age 15 from Cove, speaking to you, Moray, there uh, just a, a short time ago. You can just, first of all, hear the frustration in her voice and the fight she's had. But think that if you disagree more or less with the public service, they just don't treat you anymore. That's it. And, and as you say, like at just 15 years of age, I mean, there were so many people, you know, going up to her and, you know, saying she's such an inspiration. And it's amazing to, I guess, hear from someone who's going through it themselves and to, to hear a young person's perspective, you know, and it's just it's it's heartbreaking, you know, and you can really like you could feel the air of frustration around the place of, you know, these people are fighting for you know, services for their children or for themselves. And it's just, it's it's terrible. But as I say, I think, you know, education here and, and for people who aren't 
you know, experiencing this to to step into the shoes and understand what's going on. I think that was the the, the key message from today to to spread that message. And I also spoke to a, a lady, Julianne Canine from Glanmire. Uh, Julianne was there with her son Liam, and I think you have that audio there as yeah, well, John. Yeah, here she is now. I suppose I'm really here to speak on behalf of my son Liam and myself. We both have disabilities, and neither of us are getting any services. So I suppose Liam has complex needs, he has autism and ADHD and arthritis and dyspraxia and dyslexia and I have mobility issues myself and arthritis and I suppose the fact that we're getting no services is very very frustrating and it's kind of making us feel invisible to the HSE and we're wondering why they can't see us, why they can't hear us. Why are we not getting any services? But um, Ireland seems like a country that has the money. It seems like that there is money available for the services. And we're wondering, why are people like us not actually getting the services that we need? And what do you think is, is the reason behind that? Do you think it's a lack of understanding and education around you know what you guys go through each day? We're not really sure at this point. It seems to be a whole lack of care. Do they not care about us? That's what I seem to think it is at the moment. That um, we don't seem to matter to the HSE. Maybe we're not important enough. Maybe we're not important enough to the government. They don't prioritise us. That I mean. As far as I can see, there's not one government department that we can be proud of. Whether it's housing, or transport, or education, or finance. There's nothing working well for people with disabilities. We can't say, oh God, I'm proud of transport. They work so well for people with disabilities. Or uh, education, God, aren't people in education getting as well? We're not. And isn't that horrific? It's embarrassing for the people of Ireland to say how badly they treat people with disabilities. And tell me a bit about Liam. How old is Liam? Liam is 15 now, so he started in a special school, um, Carrigaline Community Special School, last year. And parents had to fight very, very hard to get the school to open. So I, I had no school placement for him. I applied for more than nine schools, and he was rejected in all nine schools. There was no places for him. And eventually Carrigaline Community School opened, and he was offered a place. And um, he's very happy there, but they have no occupational therapy or physio or speech and language in the school. Now, the minister has made a commitment that she's going to put the services into the school, but we're a little bit unsure whether that's going to happen or not. So we're kind of holding our breaths, waiting to see when is it going to happen. I mean... I'm a firm believer talk is cheap. I want to see action. And if she's going to promise us something, I want to see it soon. Yeah, do you find it hard when you get a promise like that to actually believe it and look forward to it until yes. it happens? You kind of don't want to build your hopes up. You're frightened that it's going to be pulled out from underneath you again. So when I see the therapies inside the school, I believe her. I'll be all for her when I see it. Julianne really showing there, Marais, the the fight that anybody who with a disability or with a child with a disability has to go through and uh, I mean she, she's very well cleared it or, or described it there the action that isn't being taken 
That's it, exactly. And I mean, you know, words that were being used today, like frustrating, you know, feeling invisible, feeling low and, you know, do they not care about us? And it's just so heartbreaking to hear these stories from people who are clearly just so frustrated at what's going on and crying out for these services that they're just not getting. And I spoke to the organiser earlier as well, and you know, she was saying this is the tip of the iceberg. You know, if they're not going to we'll make ourselves heard I think is the message here so today I, I reckon you know is, is the tip of the iceberg this is the start of this campaign you know protest around the city and I noticed you know we were coming through the city I walked with them and you know you've business owners coming out to their doors and people were, were really paying attention to what was going on so hopefully it does get that message out there even further and you know and, and hopefully something will, will come good for it and, and that these families will get the support that they really deserve because as I say frustrating feeling invisible feeling low it's it's just heartbreaking. It is. And again, we're hearing it there from the people who were going through this. So I think this is something that will continue on. And as you say, hopefully uh, the HSE and the Department of Health will and the, the entire public service will look at what is going on today, not only here in Cork. I know it's a national protest and there's protests happening right across the country. Hopefully it will have some effect. Uh, before we let you go, Maurice, um yesterday evening in Bora Villa, which is between German League and Skibbereen, emergency services rushed to the scene after a school bus went off the road. Uh, thankfully, though, no one was injured in that. This was a bus air and school bus. That's right, uh, JP. Yeah, so uh, the Gardaí have confirmed to us that there was no injuries reported. So the school bus had veered off the road, um, as you say, in, in West Cork yesterday afternoon. Now, it happened, as you say, near Borra Villa, which is between Drimalig and Skibbereen, the road there, the R93. And uh, the bus there in vehicle, it ended up partially off the road. Now, there was a number of students, as I say, on board at the time. They were all taken safely from the vehicle. And as I say, Gardaí have confirmed that there were no injuries reported after that uh, um, that uh, accident yesterday. Okay, and a bus air and spokesperson has just confirmed to us as well that an investigation is now underway and that at the time they managed to do get the school children out of the bus and arrange alternative transport for them and we wish everybody well who was involved in that accident yesterday. For the moment, Marie, thank you uh, joining us live there from thank Grand you, Parade. Jumper. Take care. That is Marie Tuig there, our news reporter um, and of course, first of all, joining us uh, regarding the Families Unite for Services Support protest, uh, which as you heard, you know, trying again, trying to fight for something we're all paying for in our tax as a simple service from our health service and from our public service. Uh, they call themselves FUS and I'm sure we'll hear a lot more uh, about them and possibly uh, more protests or indeed more signs of action anyhow over the next number of months. We spoke earlier on the IMF who have uh, hinted to the government to increase the property tax. Well, as we're looking towards the elections in Northern Ireland for the Stormont Assembly, Joan Kilmallock says if Sinn Féin do get into government here the next time round, will they stick to their work? and abolish the property tax. We will have to wait and see uh, if they go in, if they do get into power next time around, if they will uh, go ahead and abolish property tax in this country. It's something they have spoken about before. If it can be done then when they get into power, uh, we'll have to wait and see. I mean, many people say when any party gets into power, they realise the civil servants have a lot more control uh, than any of the politicians and and they really run the country. So we'll see. It'll be interesting to see what does happen if that is the outcome uh, whenever an election will happen at this side uh, of Ireland and John is in Cove and this is on Eamon Ryan 
and the banning on well what he's looking at banning on the peach briquettes uh, John says if he does ban peach Eamon should come down to Cove the next time uh, John feels the cruise ships that are coming into Cove that they are polluting the area with pumping uh, into the harbour I suppose whatever comes out of the, the cruise ship is it the pollution of the diesel of the ship is pumped into the harbour or pumped into the skies and the atmosphere around people's homes uh, their generators are never switched off so are they causing pollution f- for people in the lower harbour and the Cove area says John who is in Cove and Trish is in Blackpool and she says they have the technology to remove harmful smoke from coal so why can't they do this with briquettes Trish has a stove with a back boiler and always used smokeless coal so surely if they had the technology from the smokeless coal point of view they can apply that to other smoky fuels Uh, you would think so not too sure how all of that works but maybe they can't I'm not too sure anyhow thank you Trish in Blackpool for your call to Bernie and 0818 103 103 text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103 but it's the movies we're heading to with Mark next Record today on C103 text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment 086 103 and a few people asking when we spoke about Irish water earlier in the programme did we receive a response on their failure to get back to local councillors and the county mayor to meet with them in county hall and answer the questions that the public can't get answers to and maybe they'll talk to elective representatives as I said we were liaising with Irish water yesterday afternoon we did uh, get a response regarding Kelevolum which we brought you we did ask them about that if they received correspondence from County Hall for Irish water reps to meet with councillors within County Hall for the next council meeting uh, but we haven't had a response to that request as yet if they received the correspondence and if they are going to go ahead and reply and meet them so we'll wait and see what they come back with from Irish water when we do get that we'll bring that to you now let's go to the movies and I'm joined by Mark Malone as usual on a Friday afternoon afternoon to you Mark Hi, John Paul. And you lived long, or maybe viewed a streaming to go and see, first of all, Ambulance, and then the second movie is Miss Willoughby and the Haunted Bookshop. But Ambulance, first of all, will take a trailer. And I must say, Mark, I did look at the trailer visually uh, yesterday afternoon. It does capture, it's a real tense uh, movie, isn't it? Uh, no, it's it's dumb as two frogs. Oh, is it? Oh, so the the best yeah. bit from the trailer. Okay, well, <laughs> here's the trailer. First of all, you can make your mind up after that. That's my brother, Will. I could use some help. My wife needs this surgery. Lock everything down. Nothing gets out. It's time for you to do something for your family. We're not the bad guys. We're just the guys trying to get home. I'm gonna get you back home, little brother. I'm gonna get everybody home. Now myself and Nick Richards were discussing this yesterday afternoon when he told us you were reviewing this and we thought by the, the, the two minutes that we saw which is a longer trailer than that when I just played it did seem very intense and it was like a movie that keeps going the whole time but maybe not so, Mark. Uh, yeah, it just doesn't stop. It just it just goes on forever. It starts and about an hour in, you know, when I when you download these films, basically what happens is that you're allowed to keep it for about a week. And um, but once you start watching it, you've got 48 hours to watch it. And I watched about an hour of it and I had to pause it. 
uh, and leave it and go away from it because I literally had a headache. Now, I don't know if you noticed or not when you actually watched the trailer. I mean, the trailer is a very good example of exactly what you're seeing because it's basically a two hour, 16 minute trailer that just simply doesn't stop. And it's just edit after edit after edit after edit. And it is very, very difficult to watch because this is from Michael Bay. And Michael Bay loves to smash things up. And in fact, uh, I read somewhere that uh, the more explosions in the Michael Bay film, the more successful it is. So therefore, he's always trying to outdo himself. Everything in this film is just simply turned up to 11. And it, it, it just gets to the stage where it's a very, very difficult watch. There's shaky camera work everywhere. There's these weird camera angles where obviously the, um, uh, the, the cameraman's on the floor just looking up people's noses. It's very strange. He's also discovered that uh, you can also put a 5K camera onto a drone. And he got this very, very well-known drone operator. Apparently, he's a world champion drone operator uh, to kind of use this drone. So this drone is just flying around constantly under people's legs, up walls, back down again. And it's like being on a roller coaster. It really is, but not in a good way. It's, a, it's like being on a really bad roller coaster where, you know, you just feel ill after it. And, you know, I watch a lot of films, uh, you know, on the big Mac screens. And sometimes if you're sitting a little bit too close, it can be very difficult to kind of watch these films. I'm glad I didn't watch it on a big Mac screen, up close anyway, because it would have just made me ill. And this film did make me ill. It was very, very difficult to watch. But this is Michael Bay, you know, and he just loves cutting and cutting and cutting and cutting. And it just it, the film just doesn't stop and makes it a very, very, very difficult watch. And um, so, yeah, if you look at the trailer, it'll give you a very, very good example of uh, what you're going to see. Unfortunately, you're going to see it for two hours, 16 minutes. I mean, it's based on a Danish film and the Danish film was only 80 minutes long. So it just goes to show, you know, that it can be done. And it was a very successful film, which is why he decided to kind of make an American version of it. But it is a stupid movie. I mean, it's dumb, as is a lot of Michael Bay's films. Now, you know, I, I quite liked The Rock. I thought The Rock was a really good movie. And, you know, I, sometimes I admire what he does. I mean, I think when I was reviewing, I think, one of the Transformers films, I think I did admire the, tech, the, 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 the technical aspects of the film rather than the actual film itself, which I really didn't think was very good. But there's so much dumb and stupidity in this film that it's very, very difficult to kind of take it seriously. I mean, Jake Gyllenhaal constantly refers to the fact that he's the son of this uh, bank robber who uh, had no care for human life and kept referencing the fact that he's nothing like his father. And yet when they go and they rob this bank, they come out of this bank and they just spray bullets everywhere constantly, where obviously people, you know, would have died. And But he constantly reminds people of, I'm not like my father at all. I'm not the bad guy here. Well, you actually kind of are. And basically what happens is he and his brother, they end up in this ambulance with this cop who they've shot in the leg. Also in the ambulance is a medic here played uh, very well, by the way, by uh, Eliza Gonzalez. And he constantly refers to her and reminds her that, you know, you have to keep this man alive because if not, then we're cop killers and we'll go to jail for the rest of our lives. Once they're doing that... They're just tearing Los Angeles apart. And, you know, police cars are flying off bridges. They're spinning through the air. They're all getting smashed up. And people are obviously dying. So it makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. And yet he constantly reminds her, you've got to keep him alive. Otherwise, we're going to jail for a very long time. So there's this constant kind of stupidity throughout to the whole film. It doesn't really make any sense uh, whatsoever. There's so many cuts, so much shaky camera work. It's almost impossible to watch. It's Michael Bay turned up to 11.
Yeah, and some of his films, as you mentioned, I don't know if they're kind of films you'd have on the background. Do you just want easy watching films? Uh, maybe the wrong word uh, to use, but you don't have to use a lot of your, your brain, let's say, to, to engage with these. You can look at your phone and go back again and you haven't missed much. Is that, is that how you describe it? Or is it the fact that it's too intense, it never stops? Even though there is one scene, Mark, where they're playing Christopher Cross sailing song and they're, uh, they want to relax. Does that not calm things down or does it just only last for a small uh, part of the movie? Well, it's one of my favorite scenes of the whole film. I mean, well, I love the song. Yeah. And so it was song. great to hear. And it was one of the very few moments where actually, yeah, it, he turns it down. It was so slightly two about a seven and eight. And you go, yeah, this is good. And then it just kicks <laughs> okay. off again. And so basically, you know, I know he was a big fan of the film Heat uh, with Robert De Niro. Oh, yeah. And um, they basically, they've recreated the the, the the kind of street scene in Heat here. They've actually used the same bank as well. It then turns into kind of basically the Blues Brothers, um, where again, just, just, you know, police cars just, just flying through the air and just you know, as a kind of a mix of speed, heat, and the Blues Brothers. Um, but it is pretty, pretty dopey. And no, but on occasions, you know, you do kind of admire it. There are occasions where you go, "Well, that was a pretty good scene. That wasn't too bad." But why couldn't we have more of that instead of just this manic craziness? And it's almost like Michael Bay is just constantly trying to outdo himself, constantly trying to kind of make more explosions, trying to make it bigger, and in his mind, better. But there are times when, no, just 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 pull it back ever so slightly. You know, don't treat us all like idiots, you know, and just, you know, give it a pace that's that's watchable. Personally, for me, I couldn't watch it. Obviously, if if you're 13 or 12 years of age, I'm sure you'd probably love this movie. Uh, for me, I, I found it a very, very difficult watch. Okay, uh, after that, uh, <laughs> critique, I'm afraid to ask you how you'd rate the film out of 10. Uh, you know, some of the stunts are very, very good when you can see them, when the camera isn't up to either too close or just shaking all over the place. Uh, so, so for some of the stunts, I'll give it four. Four, okay. That, that, I thought it was going to be worse the way, way you were talking. <laughs> so four out of ten. All right, not the worst uh, rating you've given a uh, film, but production values are one to watch there. And then, Mark, you saw Miss Willoughby and the Haunted Bookshop. Yeah, I mean, this came to my attention uh, some time ago and I thought, yeah, I'll, I'll have a look at this. This looks kind of cute and old-fashioned. And I was also looking for a kind of a remedy to the kind of complete madness of ambulance. I wanted something that was kind of old-fashioned and kind of slower and kind of sweeter. And I kind of almost found it, but uh, but not quite. I mean, it's about this uh, young woman who writes these mystery novels who gets involved in a murder and wants to solve the murder. What does that sound like? It sounds like murder, she wrote. And mm. that's kind of pretty much what it is. Um, it's based on a lot of the, the, the Miss Willoughby books. This particular one is Miss Will- Willoughby and the Haunted Bookshop. Uh, so we meet uh, Miss Willoughby when she's a, a very young woman and uh, her parents have passed away. Um, she is then fostered by her father's best friend, who happens to be an American Marine. Jump 20 years ahead. And she's now a grown woman. She's a very, very famous novelist, uh, a mystery novelist. And uh, Kelsey Grammer uh, plays her her um, her foster parent. They live in an England that doesn't really exist anymore, but it exists in kind of the minds and thoughts of kind of American TV producers. She lives in this huge country mansion. She wears jodhpurs. You know, she drives her Range Rover through the fields and the leafy fields of England. Uh, everybody is uh, is white and middle-aged and 
and wearing tweed and there's coffee shops and it's the kind of England that doesn't really exist anymore but as I say in the minds of TV producers in America it, it kind of does and I kind of like that in a way I mean I thought it was kind of really really sweet uh, they made this during the uh, pandemic of uh, 2020 uh, complete lockdown so it was very very difficult for them obviously the interesting thing just you know just for on a little tangent here the three main stars of the film Kelsey Grammer Natalie Cox and Caroline Quentin whilst they were making this with the same director, they made another film in England at the same time, which was a Christmas film. And it was almost like they thought, well, you know, let's make another film while we're here, while, while we can. Uh, because, you know, uh, you know, the cinema is in lockdown all over the world. Anyway, to get back to this one again, uh, apparently what happened is the local uh, bookstore is uh, is haunted. And so therefore the, the bookstore owner uh, brings in Miss Wilby to try and uh, solve the mystery uh, of uh, the haunted um, bookshop. And actually, when, when the haunting actually does happen, it actually, I thought it was actually a little bit creepy, and I kind of like that about it, uh, you know. But that if, I, if I have a fault of it, you know, when you watch something like Murder, She Wrote, and I do like Murder, She Wrote, I mean, I love the kind of old-fashioned kind of nature of it. There's a lovely kind of pace and humour and kind of, uh, and uh, to the television series, but we don't really have this here. And I don't know if the lockdown had anything to do with that and where people are kind of uncomfortable. But there's kind of, it's a bit kind of choppy and a bit kind of slow. And I thought that was a bit of a shame because it looks beautiful. Cassie Grammer's great. Um, Natalie Cox here playing Miss Willoughby is very good. Great to see Caroline Quentin uh, on the screen again because we don't see her as much as we, we'd like to. And if you like uh, Murder, She Wrote, I think you will like this. It's successful enough that they have another one uh, on the way, which I think they're in post-production with at the moment. So that should possibly come out sometime this year. If you've got a spare hour and a half on a wet Sunday afternoon and you're a Murder, She Wrote fan, I think you'll like it. It's kind of sweet and old-fashioned and it didn't bother me at all. And people do like those type of crime or mystery adventures. So out of 10, Mark, how would you rate this? I'll give it a six. Six, okay, six out of 10. Very good. Mark, thank you for that and we'll chat to you next week. Take care, Mark Malone there with our movie review. And can we say best of luck to everybody who is doing the Darkness into Light walks for Page House right across the weekend. A WhatsApp in here from Councillor Paul Hayes, who's letting people know if you're in the Clonakilty area doing the walk, they will start and finish at their new location of the West Cork Model Railway Village. The best of luck to everybody wherever you are doing the walks right across the weekend for Darkness into Light. Uh, and also, by the way, in Bantry uh, at the Darkness into Light they are going to be the walk starts obviously everywhere at 4.15 they're going to be from the GAA grounds of Wolftone Park in Bantry this Saturday morning and you're requested to obey the stewards uh, in that area that's in Bantry but best of luck to wherever you are that's taking place right across every community in Cork so if you're up early and tomorrow morning for the Darkness Into Light Walks any at Peter House I uh, wish you the best of luck with that and all involved and we'll be thinking of you in the early hours of tomorrow morning Patricia hopefully she'll be better I'm back with you on Monday morning from 10am my thanks to Bernie Murphy who produced Enjoy Your Weekend and I'll chat to you Sunday morning from 10am with the Irish Sunday across North and East Cork and Cork City John Green on the Irish Sunday in West Cork have a great weekend I'm John Paul McNamara a lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. 
underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.